announced the birthdays for the week as well. So on Wednesday the 14th, Peggy's 80 on Wednesday, and Gaynor's birthday is on Saturday as well, the 17th. So happy birthday for uh, the day and for the year ahead as well. Amen. All right, so that'll be Bible today. Turn to 1 Kings chapter 15. 1 Kings chapter 15, we continue in our series on the good, the bad, and the ugly, looking at uh, the various kings of Israel and uh, Judah. As we know, out of all the kings from the northern kingdom, none were good. Out of uh, the kings from the southern kingdom, out of the 19 kings of the southern kingdom, only eight were good. Um, and we're going to see over the, the next few weeks that some of them were particular, particularly ugly in their behavior. Um, so just to give you a recap, um, after Solomon, the kingdom split in two. Rehoboam, Solomon's son, became the king of the southern kingdom of Judah. Jeroboam, who used to be Solomon's servant, uh, he became the king of the northern kingdom of Israel. So he reigned for 22 years, and during that reign, um, you had Rehoboam, who was the king of second best. If you remember, he took the gold shields that his father Solomon had made, had lost them, and then re replicated them with brass. So uh, we saw that brass was a much inferior metal to gold. He was the king of the second best. Jeroboam was the king of counterfeits. He set up a counterfeit religion, a counterfeit priesthood in the northern kingdom to stop people heading south to Jerusalem to worship in the temple. Uh, so during Jeroboam's 22-year reign, Rehoboam reigned for 17 years, Abijah, the king of two names, he was known as Abijah uh, and Abijam, and he only reigned for two years, he was a bad king. And then Asa was the king who started well, he was the first good king, and he reigned for 41 years. And then we saw um, last week when we looked at Nadab, all of those kings reigned in Israel during Asa's 41 years reigning in the southern kingdom of Judah. And we looked at Nadab, the king of defiance. Uh, and we saw the prophecy being fulfilled that Ahijah had given to Jeroboam. And we saw um, Jeroboam's family being wiped out as Baasheth um, killed Nadab and all of Jeroboam's family. So we come to 1 Kings chapter 15 today, and in verse 25 it says, And Nadab the son of Jeroboam began to reign over Israel in the second year of Asa, king of Judah, and reigned over Israel two years. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord, and walked in the way of his father, and in his sin wherewith he made Israel to sin. And Baasha the son of Ahijah of the house of Issachar, conspired against him, and Baasha smote him at Gibbethon, which belonged to the Philistines. For Nadab and all Israel laid siege to Gibbethon. Even in the third year of Asa, king of Judah, did Baasha um, um, slay him and reigned in his stead. And in verse 32 it says, And there was war between Asa and Baasha, king of Israel, all their days. In the third year of Asa, king of Judah, began Baasha, the son of Ahijah, to reign over all Israel in Terza, twenty and four years. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord, and walked in the way of Jeroboam, and in his sin wherewith he made Israel to sin. Father, we thank you again for this day, for this time together. 
and for this opportunity to come around you a word, Lord. We just pray that you speak to our hearts today. Uh, we recognize that sometimes um, looking at these different kings can feel like a bit of a merry-go-round, but it's just one bad king after another. And is there anything we can possibly learn from this wickedness and this evil? Well, we, we realize that all scripture is given by inspiration of God, so there is something here that we can learn from, that we can apply to our hearts and to our lives. We can learn from the mistakes of those in the past, so we can learn from those that are godly examples, that we might have a desire to apply those traits to our hearts and our lives, that we might avoid those traits for those who are wicked and apply the traits of those who are godly to our lives, that we might be a, a, a testimony and a witness to those around us. So, Father, would you speak to our hearts this morning? We pray and ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. If one word could be used to describe um, the reign of Israel's kings, it would simply be evil. Every single one of them, 44 times in the uh, Bible, we see evil in the sight of the Lord. 35 of those times it is used in the book of Kings and Chronicles. Evil in the sight of the Lord. And you think, so, you know, why don't we learn from our past mistakes? And, and the one thing we learn from history is that we never learn from history. You know, I think you saw that quite clearly after the First World War, the war to end all wars, that just within, you know, a few years, uh, there was a Second World War. Uh, we don't learn from history. We don't learn from the mistakes of the past. We don't look at people's lives uh, when they are steeped in sin and wickedness and think, Do you know what, I'm not going to allow those traits to creep into my life. We just simply do not learn. And that seems to be the theme through um, the northern kingdom of Israel. And I suppose the question um, that is asked today is, was probably asked back then. Where was God in amongst all of this evil? You know, we live in a world today where it just seems to be that evil and wickedness prospers. Uh, the more corrupt you are as a politician, the more popular you seem to become. The more wicked you are, it seems to be the, the, the more voice uh, that you have and the greater uh, your support base is. And we might ask ourselves, where is God in all of this? Why does God seem to be so silent? And it's incredible that even though this wickedness is taking place in Israel, God is still there. And just as much as we live in a wicked and perverse and corrupt world, God has not abandoned us. God has not turned his back on us. God is not suddenly unaware of all that is going on because he is still very much a presence even in the, the, the world and wickedness which surrounds us today. It's incredible that when you look at these wicked kings, the rays of light that shine through onto the pages of Scripture. You know, if it, if it, could we say this, if it wasn't for Ahab, we may not have had an Elijah. You know, it was during that reign of probably one of the, the more wicked kings that we have the ray of light that is uh, Elijah. Um, when you think about it, one of the most wicked kings was given a prophecy by Isaiah saying that, God's going to give you a sign. A virgin is going to conceive and bring forth a son and will call his name Emmanuel, God with us. And to that wicked of kings at the Gihong Springs, Isaiah gives one of the greatest prophecies we have on the virgin birth 
of the Lord Jesus Christ. So even in the midst of wickedness, there are still some bright rays of light. We might feel quite despondent today because of the wickedness that we see around us, but can I say this, believers, there are still rays of light. There are still pockets of light here, there, and everywhere. We still read of revivals taking place. It might not be happening right here, right now, but we still read of revivals taking place in parts of the world that we thought God would never be able to reach that area. And yet revival is breaking out that we could only dream of happening in our nation. Even though wickedness takes place, God is still there. Jeroboam, as we said before, was the standard by which all the the wicked kings were compared against. Uh, Because of the sins of Jeroboam, which he sinned, and which he made Israel to sin by his provocation, wherewith he provoked the Lord God of Israel to anger. Jeroboam is the standard. Jeroboam is the one uh, who was so wicked that everybody else was compared back to him. But Baasha is just as bad it says uh, in in first Kings 16 2 for as much as I exalted thee out of the death and made thee prince over my people Israel and thou hast walked in the way of Jeroboam and has made my people Israel to sin to provoke me to anger with their sins just as Jeroboam had provoked God to anger so Baasha in his behavior and his wickedness provoked God to anger And that's what I want to look at today. But Asher, the king of provocation. You know, when when the girls were little, I have got a tendency, as you may have known, I I do pick on Joe quite a lot from the pulpit, and everybody says, oh, you were poor wife, blah, 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 whatever. Um, I have got a tendency to tease. I can't help it. It's, It's something I know I shouldn't, and... Do you know the one Bible verse that, the, that Joe always used to quote to me constantly when the kids were growing up? I would wind the kids up into such a frenzy that they would then end up getting tr- into trouble. And Joe would say, Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. There's lots of ways in which we can um, you know, provoke somebody to do something. You know, We can provoke people to sin by the way in which we treat them. We can provoke somebody to reject the Lord Jesus Christ by the way in which we act as believers. We can either prove them wrong and show them that the church is not just full of self-righteous hypocrites who think they're better than everybody else, but actually the church is full of people who are desperate to see those who are lost come to know Christ as their Savior. Not because we're self-righteous, holier than thou and perfect, but because we are sinners saved by grace. There's many ways in which you can provoke people. We can actually provoke the Lord. You know, by the way we act, do we provoke him to anger? You know, maybe sometimes at a wayward child and as a parent we would look down and think, after all I've done for you, really, that's the way you're going to act? That's the way you're going you're gonna to treat the, uh, the house? That's the way in which you're going to pay us back for, you know, for what we've poured into you, and I wonder if sometimes that by our behavior, we provoke the Lord to look at us and think, was that really worth it after all I've done for you? 
after all I've given you, after all I've blessed you with. But Asher was quite a remarkable king in the sense that he was used to fulfill a prophecy. Last week we saw that prophecy that Jeroboam's family would be wiped out. But Asher was used to fulfill that prophecy. But just because he fulfilled a prophecy that God made, it didn't mean that he would get away with living his life as he pleased. So where is God in amongst all of this evil that's taking place? Can I say this, that the Lord is still watching? The Lord is still watching. It says um, in verse 34, it says that Baasha did evil in the sight of the Lord. You know, he didn't do it secretly. He didn't do evil um, away from prying eyes. He, he didn't do it in a way that the Lord was caught unawares or that the Lord didn't see what was going on or the Lord was like, oh, my days, I, I can't believe you got away with that. You know, the stuff that me and my brother got away with when we were little is unbelievable. You know, and only recently, I think my brother fessed up to a couple of things that he had done in the house that uh, my parents were blissfully unaware of. There's stuff we can get away with and our parents will never know. There's stuff that we can get away with that perhaps the pastor will never find out. But here's the thing. There's nothing that we can do that escapes the eyes of the Lord. And if we think that we can do something and get away with it and there will be no repercussions and there will be no consequences and we won't have to answer for it, we are delusional because... The Lord is watching. But Asher rules for 24 years after he assassinates Nadab. And he's not the only king that comes to the throne um, by taking the life of the previous king. But he is the first one to rule in Tirzah. It was previously mentioned in 1 Kings 14, 17. If you remember when Jeroboam's wife went to find the prophet Ahijah because their son Abijah was sick, they, they were in Tirzah at the time. Um, but Tirza uh, remained the capital until Omri uh, made the capital Samaria. But Tirza was rich and beautiful. Uh, it had uh, gardens and groves, abundant water. Reference to Tirza is even made in the Song of Solomon, where it says, um, Thou art beautiful, O my love, as Tirza. Okay, I've missed the verse. Thou art beautiful, O my love, as Tirzah, uh, comely as Jerusalem, terrible as an army with banners, and that Song of Solomon 6.4. So, uh, Baasha lives in a, uh, if you like, in a perfect place. Oftentimes we think this world would be much better if we could make the environment better. You know, let's save the planet, let's all drive electric cars, hug trees, and the world will be a better place. I can promise you this, it won't be. It won't be a perfect place. Why? Because you'll still live in it. Wherever man is, guess what? That automatically makes the place not perfect anymore. But Asher lived in a perfect place, but he still did evil in the sight of the Lord. He walked in the way of demonstrating. It demonstrates that some, he walked in the way of Jeroboam, demonstrating that some people, even in the midst of beauty, fail to worship the Creator. 
You know, we, we are, if, if people put as much effort worshiping the creator as they do worshiping the creation today, this world would be a better place. We don't need to save the planet. We need the soul to be saved more than the planet to be saved. Because guess what? The planet's going to get pretty much messed up big time. If you read the book of Revelation, um, there's going to be a lot of disappointed tree huggers out there in that seven-year period because mountains are going to collapse, seas are going to be turned to blood, meteors are going to poison the water. There's, it's it's going to be carnage. The important thing is not the planet. The important thing is the souls of men, women, boys and girls. But Asher, living even in a perfect place, still did evil in the sight of the Lord. Where was the Lord? The Lord was still watching. You can't get away from his gaze. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and our good. And this is our, our comfort and assurance today for those who are good, those who do good. That's a comfort for us because we know the Lord is with us and the Lord is watching us and the Lord is taking care of us. But that's not so good for those who were unsaved and for those who were saved but are not necessarily living like they should because the eyes of the Lord are still in every place beholding the good deeds we do and the evil deeds that we do. God is aware of what is going on. And Baasha did evil in the sight of the Lord and he was provoking God to anger because of the way in which he was behaving. And people tend to ask, where is God in the midst of all of this? Where is God in the midst of this evil? Where is God in the midst of this wickedness? Where is God? He's right there where he's always been. He's not oblivious to it. And he will judge. Now, he doesn't judge in the time that we think he should. But he will judge. When Baasha killed Nadab and subsequently Jeroboam's entire family, God knew what would happen. God used the hide of the prophet to tell Jeroboam, this is what's going to happen. Your family is going to be wiped out. None of your family uh, is going to have a proper burial. Your family is going to be destroyed. And it happened just as Ahijah said. 1 Kings 15, 29, it came to pass uh, when uh, Baasha reigned that he smote all the house of Jeroboam, he left not to Jeroboam any that breathed until he had destroyed him according unto the saying of the Lord, which he spoke by his servant Ahijah the Shilonite. We often get frustrated when evil people get away with things. But we need to realize this. Nobody will get away scot-free. Jehu, the prophet, the son of Hanai, gave this prophecy against Baasha, saying in verse 2 of chapter 16, For as much as I exalted thee out of the dust and made thee prince over my people Israel, and I was walked in the way of Jeroboam, and has made my people Israel to sin, to provoke me to anger with their sins, behold, I will take away the posterity of Baasha and the posterity of thy house and will make thy house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. Him that dieth of Baasha in the city shall the dogs eat, and him that dieth of his in the field shall the fowls of the air eat. 
Where is God in, amidst, in, in amongst all of this evil that's taking place? He's watching. He's watching and waiting uh, for the unfolding of sin so that judgment can come at the right time. Now, judgment didn't come in Baasha's life. It actually came during his son's reign, Elah. Baasha reigned on there for 24 years. His son, Elah, took the throne for only two years, and then the whole family was wiped out according to the word of the Lord as God determined. Not only was the Lord watching, but the Lord is waiting. The Lord is waiting. In 1 Kings 16 and verse 11, it says, It came to pass when he began to reign, that is, Elah, as soon as he sat on his throne, that he slew all the house of uh, that Zimri, sorry, that he slew all the house of Baasha. He left him not one that pisseth against the wall, neither of his kinsfolk nor of his friends. Where is God in all this evil that's taking place? He's not only watching, but he's waiting. He waits for the right time to act. It's assuming, uh, or it's amusing, sorry, to hear people uh, ask the question, where is God in all of this? God's been where he's always been. God wants to have a personal relationship with us. God wants us to be reconciled to him. God wants us to be a part of his family. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God doesn't take any pleasure in the death of the wicked. But because God is perfect, there has to be a payment for sin. There has to be a judgment for wicked behavior. You know, we never, and I don't suppose any parent in their right mind uh, would ever reward their child for bad behavior. But you tend to reward the kids for good behavior. Bad behavior tends to get punished. And we tend to look at the world and say, where is God in all of this? God's not only watching, but he's waiting. And at the right time, Judgment will come when needed. It's interesting um, that in the midst of all this evil, we tend to say, why is God not doing anything? 20 years later, Zimri comes to the throne and kills Elah and all of Baasha's family after 20 years. Uh, and while the dogs are eating the bodies in the, in the city and the birds are eating the bodies in the fields, people then turn around and say, well, why is God so cruel? Why did God do something like that? You know, we can't win. We, we kind of ask God why he's not doing anything in amongst all of this evil. And then when God finally does judge, we ask why he's so harsh. God will always judge with a perfect judgment because he is a perfect God. Whatever atrocities we see today, God is still watching and judgment will still come. Evil people might get away with murder in the world today, but I can promise you this, nothing escapes the eyes of the Lord when it comes to that final judgment at the great white throne. God will always, always judge wickedness. Now, thankfully for us, our wickedness, our sinfulness, has been judged upon Christ. 
So there'll be no judgment for those who know Christ as their Savior in that regard to heaven and hell. There will be a judgment at the Bema seat where we'll be judged for the works we do as Christians. But I'm thankful for the fact that Christ took our judgment upon Calvary. Where is God in the midst of all of this evil? He's watching, waiting, and still working. In 1 Kings 16 and verse 1, it says, The word of the Lord came to Jehu, the son of Hanani, against Baasha. How incredible that even with all of these wicked kings, we still get to see that ray of light that we talked about earlier. God is still working, even amongst all the wickedness, even amongst all the evil, even amongst uh, all of the, uh, the sin and degradation. God's ray of light uh, came during Jeroboam's time in the, in the, in the light of Ahijah. Uh, God's light came in, in, in Baasha's time in the ray of Jehu. God's light came in the time of Ahab through Elijah and Elisha. God's light came through the, the, the time of some of the more wicked kings of Israel in Isaiah and Jeremiah. God is always working. And even though the wickedness might surround us everywhere we turn and everywhere we look, and it might sometimes be so overwhelming that we can't feel like we can function, God can still use us as a ray of light in a dark, desperate, and wicked world. God's not finished working. God's not looked at this planet and thought, wow, what a mess. I bet throw in the towel. If you were the only Christian left, no matter how dim your light might be, it's still a light. No matter how dark the wickedness might be around us, the dimmest of light can still shine in the darkest of places. This prophet Jehu comes and brings word against Baasha. God had given this man an opportunity to change. It says, for as much as I exalted thee out of the dust and made thee prince over my people Israel, and I was walked in the way of Jeroboam and has made my people Israel to sin, to provoke me to anger with their sins. Behold, I will take away the posterity uh, of Baasha and the posterity of his house and will make thy house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. Jehu basically said, you want to live like Jeroboam, then you're going to die like Jeroboam. We need to understand the basic biblical principle, you reap what you sow. That is a basic biblical principle. If you continually sow uh, hatred in, in your life, then guess what? That is what you will reap. The phrase exalted thee out of the dust. Jeroboam was exalted from among the people. But Baasha was exalted from among the dust. This suggests that Baasha's rise to the throne was from very humble origins. And yet this man from humble origins managed to provoke the Lord to anger. The outlook for Baasha was just as bleak as it had been for Jeroboam, when those that died in the city, the dogs would eat. For those that died in the field, the fowls of the air would eat. And last week we saw how awful that was for an Israelite to, be, uh, to, to not have a proper 
burial. It wasn't good. Uh, it was a, a, a curse. It was a disgrace. It was declared in the law to be a curse on the disobedient. Deuteronomy 28, 26. And the carcass shall be meat unto the fowls of the air and unto the beasts of the earth, and no man shall free them away. It wasn't a good thing to not have a proper burial. You know, and you might say, well, this is not fair. Why is God being so harsh on Baasha? Because, you know, he fulfilled prophecy. He destroyed Jeroboam's family according to the word of the Lord. So why is God treating Baasha so harshly? And, and, and here's the thing. Just because God knew what Baasha would do to Jeroboam's household, it didn't mean that it had God's seal of approval. Now, God does use wicked men to fulfill his means, um, his purposes. Thank you, Anne. Uh, we look at Nebuchadnezzar. You know, there's, I think there's seven um, people, which uh, I'm going to do a study on one day. There's, I think there's seven people in the Old Testament or in the Bible that the Lord refers to as my servant. Did you know Nebuchadnezzar was one of them? Before any kind of conversion, God referred to Nebuchadnezzar as my servant. God used Nebuchadnezzar to take Judah into Babylon captive. But God still judged Nebuchadnezzar because for seven years, Nebuchadnezzar wandered around like a, a crazed animal before he finally called upon the Lord. Just because God knew what Baasha would do didn't mean that it had his seal of approval. Yes, it fulfilled the word of the Lord, but Baasha could have learned from the mistakes of Jeroboam. Baasha could have put things right that Jeroboam had failed to do. Baasha could have made such a difference. But he didn't. Although God predicted the evil that a man would do, it did not make him culpable for that man's actions. But Asher was responsible for his own deeds and had to face the consequences for it. The fact that Baasha immediately embraced the idolatry of the man whose household he had just destroyed demonstrates that his motives weren't pure. He didn't destroy Jeroboam's household because he had a love for the word of God. He destroyed Jeroboam's household because he had a love for the power that he could have for himself. And that's the difference. But God has not given up on his people. God has not given up on us. Even in the midst of all of this wickedness, even though people today provoke God to anger, as it were. I've said this before, and I think it was not long after I came to Bethany as the pastor, so you're talking like 17 years ago there was a, um, a YouTube trend. And that YouTube trend was for people to go on and openly blaspheme the Holy Spirit. Because they said, oh, that's an unpardonable sin. So they were, um, I suppose it's like um, some of the trends you have on TikTok or whatever today, you know, stupid things. You know, that stupid thing where people put salt on their skin and then stick ice on it. Well, stupid can people be to think, oh yeah, that sounds like a good idea. Let's shove a spoonful of cinnamon in my mouth and see what happens. But there was a trend on YouTube to go online and openly blaspheme the Holy Spirit. 
The world today literally shakes its, its fist at God to provoke him to anger. And you think, where is God in the midst of all of this? He's still watching. And he says to that one that shakes their fist up to him, I love you with an undying love. I love you with a sacrificial love. I love you with a love that put my son on Calvary for your soul. God is still waiting. Because if that one who provokes him to anger and shakes his fist at God refuses to repent, then judgment will come. God would, would much rather forgive and restore than he would to judge and reject. But judgment will come and God is waiting. But God is still working today. And guess who he uses? You. Christ said that he is the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. We are the light of the world. Our light is not meant to be hid under a bushel. Our light is meant to stand on the hilltop and shine to a lost and dying world. A lighthouse that would warn the ships of the impending dangers of the rock is meant to shine. It's not meant to be there as an ornament. It's not meant to be there as a monument. It's not meant to be there for something that looks good on the point of a bit of land. It is meant to warn the ships of danger. That's what the light is meant to do. Do. And whether you like it or not, you are not a monument to come to church and just sit week in and week out. You are not something that is meant to make these pews look beautiful, even though they're a hundred and plus years old of wood, that you adorn them with such beauty. That's not your purpose. Your purpose is to shine. That's what a light does. A light shines. When we look around and see the violence erupting and we hear rage in the words of men and we see terror sprouting from unexpected places, the Lord is still watching, but he's not absent. He's waiting, he will judge evil and sin, and he's working. His light still shines today and it shines through us. During World War II, Allied forces sent in airborne soldiers to invade Sicily, but landing them at the right location in the dark was so difficult. The paratroopers were scattered as far as 100 kilometers from the, 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 the intended drop zone. Subsequently, the army created the Pathfinders. These were a small group of specially trained paratroopers who went and jumped ahead of the rest of the force. And once on the ground, their job was to mark the correct drop zone with signal beacons or specialized lanterns visible from the air. These men would literally light the way, allowing pilots and paratroopers alike to see exactly where they needed to land. You are the pathfinders. You are the light in this desperately dark and this desperately wicked world. You were just meant to point the way to Calvary. You're not meant to be a stumbling block. You're meant to be a stepping stone. You are meant to be a lighthouse. You are meant to let your light shine. Yeah, but the world is so wicked. I know it is. But it's not caught the Lord off guard. He's not suddenly turning around and thinking, oh, I can't believe this has happened. 
oh no, what am I going to do? He knew exactly what was going to happen. That's why he placed you here. That's why he's put us where we are today, to let our light shine, to be pathfinders, so that we can point others to the cross of Calvary. You know, there's a good type of provoking as well. You know, the church, we understand, is meant to provoke Israel to jealousy so that they see the relationship that we have with their God. But you can provoke others to good works as well. Because the brighter you will light shine. You ever notice on a Christmas tree? You kind of, the dark spots really stand out. I mean, years ago when one light didn't work, the whole thing was like, I don't know if it's, change now with LEDs and that, but Christmas lights were a nightmare years ago because if one light didn't work, then the whole lot was gone. And you would literally just spend hours pulling that bulb out, testing it, putting that bulb back in, pulling that bulb out, testing it, putting that bulb back in. It was always the last light that you checked was the one that didn't work. Why didn't you start at that end? But those that are lit up really highlight the ones that are not because they leave that dark spot. We can provoke one another to good works because if we let our light shine, the goal is not to show anybody up, but the goal then is for somebody to say, wow, I want to shine my light just as bright. So let's shine in the midst of a dark, desperate, and wicked world, let's just shine. Let's let our light shine because God is still working, even in amidst all of these, this wickedness. So stay faithful. Don't look at the world and lose hope because our hope is not in the world. Our hope is in him. Don't look at this, look at this world and give up. Don't look at this world and think evil is just prospering. So what is the point? What's the point in being in church? What's the point in reading my Bible? What's the point in living my life as a Christian? What's the point in trying to live a life that's pleasing to the Lord? The point is the Lord is using you to work through you to reach a lost, desperate, and wicked world so that we can turn another light on and then turn another light on and turn another light on. You notice how difficult it is to see the night sky when there's so much light pollution around. Can you imagine, you know, when we fly in at night and you fly over certain areas and you can really see the cities because it's just absolutely lit up with all the lights that they have. Can you imagine if our lights shone as brightly as they could? We'd stand out. We'd make a difference. So shine, shine as bright as you possibly can because God's going to work through you. Father, we thank you again for this day and for this time together this morning, for this opportunity to come around your word, Lord. I just pray that you would help us, Father, to not give up hope, to not look at this world and become despondent and disheartened because of the wickedness that surrounds us. Father, we realize that the world is not going to get better. That, that man is not going to improve without the Lord Jesus Christ. So Lord, would you help us just be the light that we need to be 
to warn people of the danger, to, to help others, Lord, in their, in their walk with Christ as those pathfinders, to, to help other lights to shine as brightly as they, uh, as they can, to live up to their potential of being the brightest light that they can possibly be. Father, would you help us to not lose heart in amidst all of this wickedness? And the darker the world gets, would you just help our light to shine brighter than it's ever shone before? Father, I just pray again, if there's one listening to this message today that's never trusted Christ as their Savior, the Lord is watching. He knows their lives. And whilst judgment might not come straight away, whilst they may get away with the way in which they live in their lives for a short time, the Lord is waiting. And one day judgment will come. If they leave this earth without Christ, then their judgment will be an eternity in the lake of fire. For God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That proves that he is still working today. That Christ died upon the cross of Calvary for the whosoever will. I pray that somebody today would come to know Christ as their Savior. And Father, for those of us who know him, Lord, maybe we've become a bit disheartened over these past few weeks, months, years, because we've seen the world getting more and more wicked. Lord, that just proves one thing, that your return is getting more and more closer. So, Father, help us to keep our eyes fixed firmly on the Lord Jesus Christ, because that is our blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So help us keep our eyes fixed firmly upon you and not give up hope. So, Father, we just ask that you would help us this day. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Stand, stand and sing our last hymn together. Have you been to Jesus? For the...
So just in a word of prayer, thank you, sir.